Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. This week, we have a special guest with us to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. It's uh, indeed a pleasure to be with you. Uh, I am thankful that I'm wired up so I can move around a little bit. I'm not real fond of staying in one place. Uh, this, this word joy that uh, is a part of the uh, Advent wreath this morning, thank you. That's a special thing for me just to remember the Advent wreath. But uh, anybody had unusual, I'm, I probably won't be able to move but so much. That's okay. All right, we'll keep the ringing down. Uh, so I'll stay kind of here. All right. Um, Christmas last year was very, very different for my wife and I. And um, I bring this up only because of the, uh, the Advent wreath, because I think it sets a, a good illustration, I think, for us. Um, normally, I get up on Christmas morning at about 5, 30, 6 o'clock, pop in the turkey, because we got family coming over about 1 o'clock, and then my wife is busy cooking food and doing all these other things, and we do the unwrapping of presents. And, and last year, we didn't have that. And then that was not because of COVID, but everybody else was kind of feeling kind of rotten and maybe a little sick. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like, okay, so what do I do on Christmas morning? And, and the, the thing that I did was I curled up in my, uh, my uh, recliner, turned on uh, good Christian Christmas music, had my little puppy dog there beside me, and I asked God one favor. Don't allow some stupid Christmas song to get stuck in my brain. <laughs> Nobody ever has, I mean, like, Grandma got run over by a reindeer or some other, you know, the, where did this Italian donkey come from? I'm still struggling with that one. So I'm sitting there listening, and, and this song comes on. And it's a song that I've heard years and years and years in many different ways, many different statements, and it was, Oh, come all you faithful. So I'm, I'm sitting there Oh, come all ye faithful. The next line is, say it with me, joyful and triumphant. And I hear a little voice in my mind saying, are you? Am I what? You know, you kind of get a little snarky. So, I mean, you know, if you have that kind of conversation with God, you realize that he understands snarkiness. Okay, he does. I mean, look at David. David was one of those snarky individuals, at least in some of the things that we see him writing in uh, the book of Psalms. So I say, am I what? He goes, are you joyful and triumphant? I'm like, no. He said, become it. And so this entire year, my heart has been to be joyful and triumphant. You know how hard that is? Do you know how hard that is? Yeah, you do. <laughs> you get it. You know exactly how hard it is. But then God never gave us the word to make it easy. He gave us the word to be challenged to become even better than what we are, not in our, uh, our relationship with God, in our relationship with each other, because my relationship with God is settled. Why? Because the cross goes this way. But then my relationship this way is the one that needs a little bit of adjustment. And so I believe God gave me that word to be um, joyful and triumphant. And so uh, it, you don't need to ask my wife if I was successful because she would tell you, I wasn't all the time, but maybe a little bit better. Now, let me introduce myself. My name is Travis Witt. I uh, have been a pastor for 30-some years, 
and uh, now retired. I guess it, I don't know that you retire from being a pastor. You're always a pastor. You might retread, but you don't retire. Uh, and so I've been moved into another position where I work for uh, Liberty University, a place where I graduated back in 1986 with a master's in counseling and religious education. And now I'm um, actively working for an organization called the Standing for Freedom Center. And the Standing for Freedom Center is an organization at Liberty. You can find it at standingforfreedom.com. They have some of the best speakers on how do you integrate biblical truth and cultural action to where it works. And um, uh, to give you a little bit of my background as well, I'm here at Liberty because of my active engagement in something called politics. And uh, um, I was the uh, member of the Republican Party State Central Committee. I'm the former chair of the Virginia Tea Party Patriots. Uh, I served um, uh, Bob Good as his uh, faith outreach individual. Bob's a great friend of mine, one of the best congressmen in Washington, D.C. And if you don't think so, see who's mad at him. That's how you tell if you're good. Who's mad at you? Well, he has both sides mad at him right now. Because here's what I know about the political world for me. Jesus Christ is not on the ballot. Just in case you were wondering. So if he's not on the ballot, then you choose the one that's closest to what you believe Jesus would want us to do. You don't go quit voting. You just make that choice. And when, when I got to know Bob Good, Bob Good is one of those individuals that I know this to be true. I don't need to lobby him. I don't need to call him and ask him to do something because I know exactly what he's going to do. He's going to make the decision based on this. And I think he's probably more equipped to make that decision than most of us. How many of you get up at 4.30 every morning to read your word for an hour before you get on your day and you've been doing it for 20 years? That's Bob Good. That's the kind of gentleman we have in Congress. So I'm really thankful for that. But that's enough about me. Let's get to what the word of God says I'd like for you, to, if you would, turn to Galatians chapter 4 and give you a little bit of the background. Um, Paul is writing to the church at Galatia, and he refers to something called children. But he also makes this declaration. Notice, if you would, in verse 4 of chapter 4, Galatians, it says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a son, uh, no, you, excuse me, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray that it would be an encouragement and a strength. Pray, Father God, that you would deliver it as you want it delivered, not as I want it delivered, but that, Father God, someone, each of us, is touched by your word this morning. Thank you again for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. In Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I have not always been a believer. Um, Back in the 70s, when I was in college, I chose to uh, go off to a, a college and a university where drugs and alcohol became the prominent factor in my addictive nature. And all of us have addictions. All of us have addictive behaviors. And again, my addiction was to drugs and alcohol. And um, 
after about eight or nine years in that lifestyle, uh, the bank took my home and foreclosed on me. And when that happened, I moved back in with my parents. That's not something you want to do when you're 28. And when I did, it was at that point that I said, if there is a God, if there is a God, I want to figure it out. Because I've been raised in a church. I mean, you can be raised in a church and not be Christian. You do know that, right? Some of the greatest places to be evangelistic is inside the church. Maybe not here, but other places as well. I, I had a, a pastor in a church uh, in Louisa County um, for the last 10 years where I drive up every other weekend. And on Easter Sunday, a 98-year-old woman raised her hand and accepted the Lord. And that was five years before she died at 103. So sometimes those places where you've been in church all your life, but you don't know the relationship is an interesting thing. So I spent a year and a half trying to figure out if there was a God. And guess what? Hallelujah, I lost. Because I really didn't want to be told what to do or told truth and I was enjoying my party in life and I'm like okay God what's next so that was uh, what he said he said go back and study and 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 teach but in my research in my looking at the word Galatians chapter 4 really stirred up I didn't realize it I didn't know it because I was looking for God without looking through the word because if you can find it in sources that don't bring the word into it, then you're not biased as to the reality of the word. Are you following with me with what I'm saying with that? So this, this scripture, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. I didn't realize the importance of the in the fullness of time as a part of scripture, but I do understand it now that I've spent some time really focusing in on the reality of the word. God has a fullness of time, and sometimes that fullness of time is grandiose and magnificent, and sometimes that fullness of time is in the minute, exact detail. And the word fullness in the scripture is defined by complete, perfect, or exact. So let me just take, take you through some of the things that I think are important in regards to the fullness of time as it relates to getting Jesus here and then taking it a little bit further and saying, so what does it mean for us? Because you can take a lot of this information and, and, and use it, but what does it, what does it mean for us? So what's the grandiose scheme of all of this? Psalm 19.1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Now, if you know the story of the founding and the, the birth and the reality of Jesus' beginnings in that lowly manger, you realize that heavenly bodies had to come into play. So from the very beginning, God, when he established order in the heavenlies, had to have the planets and the stars and all of that come together over this period of time known as about 2,000 years ago for it to be right. 
Because God is not a God that's going to change things that he's already put into place unless there's a reason to change things. And once he puts them into place, they're going to continue to manifestly do what they're supposed to do. So God, on the fourth day, according to the word of God, sets the planets and the heavens and the stars together. And guess what? Those stars lined up perfectly so that when Jesus was born, those stars line up perfectly for Christ to come in as his word declares there was going to be a sign in the heavenly bodies. A second one of those grandiose things that brings us to a specific point where in the fullness of time Jesus is born. One of the things that surprised me as much as anything in my research and study as I'm working through in the fullness of time is the reality of the Old Testament. And, you know, I, I, I like some of those history stories. They're not just mythical stories. They're historical stories that actually happened. How in the world? How in the world do 40 writers over a period of 1,500 years get 40 different stories prophetically correct about the Christ that is about ready to be born in Bethlehem. Now, when I, when I say that statement, I want you to recognize that that's impossible. Here's how impossible it is. So, in other words, if I write a history book about Steve, okay, I can, I can go and find a bunch of things. about Y'all can tell me. Y'all be great to give me all of the stories that I would need. But let's write a history, let's write a prophetic book about Steve's great, 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 great grandson and get it right perfectly 40 times. Would you say that's impossible without divine outside influence? Yes. That's what happened with Jesus. However, it's not just one writer. There are 40 writers and it's over a period of about 1,500 years. So here are the odds according to some researchers. For Jesus Christ to have done it by chance, remember he fulfilled all of those prophecies, for him to have done it by chance is for me to take a blue piece of sand, call it paint, spray paint it blue, go all anywhere in the world along a seashore and drop that little blue speck of sand in the sand of the seashores or the oceans or whatever, drop it in the sand and then have a blind person find it on the first try. That's the odds that Jesus didn't do what he said he was going to do purposefully. And how do we know it's not historic? How do we know it's not history? Because some people say, oh yeah, well, they wrote, the, they wrote the Old Testament about Jesus long before or long after Jesus was born. How do we know it's not it's not history, and it's prophetic. Well, there's something called the Dead Sea Scrolls, and if you've never studied the Dead Sea Scrolls, please do. The Dead Sea Scrolls were written 200 years before Jesus was born. The book of Isaiah is almost perfectly intact in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So, historically speaking, the Dead Sea Scrolls give us validation and verification that the Old Testament is not history. It's the Old Testament is history, but it was also prophecy long before it became history for us. So I, that, to me, takes in the fullness of time. So God, in his magnificence, deals with the heavenlies and then deals with the prophetic word that comes in the Old Testament. One last thing 
that I believe would be taking the big part of the fullness of time to get us to a small, exact particular time is what the world looked like when Jesus was born. There were three major influences. Number one, there was the Hebrews, the Jews, and their focus was the spiritual condition of the world. Then there was something called the Greeks who came up with one language that everybody knew and spoke and communicated with. And then the Romans during this particular time had a third thing, and that was transportation, communication, as well as peace. So when Jesus is introduced into the world as that baby born in a manger in Bethlehem, all three of those things were working well, in addition to the fact that everybody had to go through Israel to get anywhere else in the world. So Israel became that central point where people were going north and south. So those are some exact, so those are some of the grandiose things that God had to do to get the fullness of time working. What about the minor ones? Or what about the exact things? How do you get a pregnant woman 70 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem? You do a census. You call a census. Why did Quirinius do it? I believe he was led to do it because that's how God had it planned, set up, ready to go. Or Zacharias, you remember him in the book of Luke. Zacharias goes into the temple and is there in the normal activity of him being chosen by Lot. Now, that's not us rolling dice, okay? That's not playing the dice game. That's, they literally said, if we do it by Lot, then we can say all that happens is God's responsibility. So Lot was an incredibly important thing for them to do. So when Zacharias is now working in the temple and sees God, and hears the angel tell him what's going to happen, how did that even happen? An exact time for him to be there. Well, if you go back to the, the first book of Chronicles, the 24th chapter, it lays it out. And we're not going to go there because of time. I'm going to quit at about 2.30 because I'm used to going three hours or so. I'm kidding. Please, please forgive me. I, 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 do, I, do, this, I do portrayals. I, I, I do living history. And uh, when we know history, those pastors would preach two and a half hours. And, and John Adams, the president of the United States in 1798, said, if I go to church and I'm not in there for at least two and a half hours, I've wasted my time. And when they, they were Berean folks, because one of, the, one of our uh, former presidents, I believe it was Adams, would go home after the sermon and would review the message in six languages. He had six different Bibles in six different languages. So, and, and, and they learned their languages before they were 12. So they were fluent in languages. I'm, I'm, so, I'm, I'm off. Let's, let's, let's get back. To, <laughs> so I'm not going two and a half hours. Okay. But Zacharias was there ministering. But when you go back to the first Chronicles 24, you see how they laid out all of these, all laid out the people who were going to be in charge. That's in David's day. That's a thousand years before Zacharias shows up in the temple. So there's lots then, and then there were lots again. And so Zacharias is now in the temple ministering to the Lord. And he was there at the specific time to get things moving with John's birth, Jesus' birth, and the reality. How do you take all of that grandiose thing and bring it right down to where it's exact specific? Or, as we talked about, the, the grandiose plan that God had for the heavenlies, 
Who needed that? The wise men needed that. Because the wise men were looking for the signs. And if you spend a lot of time in, in studying the realities of, of, of the sky during this period of time, there were at least three or four major signs. And remember, Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. So they looked at the heavenly signs to see what was going on. And the wise men, who were probably associated with Daniel, um, and, and learned some of the things that he knew about the Old Testament from Daniel, who would have been in that area uh, previous to the wise men. It says they came looking for the sign, the heavenly sign. And there are so many heavenly signs around 3, 2, and 1 BC that are just absolutely fantastically interesting, at least to me, when I say in the fullness of time, God set it up and made it look incredibly perfect. You see, in the fullness of time, God provided what human history by itself could not, a way out of sin. Jesus comes and gives that. But why? Why do we have the fullness of time? And why is the fullness of time important in our day? Well, because the fullness of time gives us the understanding that God's interested in us. The fullness of time. You see, grandiose is the big things, exact are the little things, and so they're big things, and they're little things, and little things and big things that work together in the grandiose scheme of the fullness of time, but sometimes they're just exact things that are just exact but still important. Psalm 37, 23 says that the steps of a righteous man are ordered. So if that's true, and I believe and know that it's true, then my steps are being ordered by God, and I have the ability to either obey or walk away from them. I have something called free will, and it gives me the choice to either follow or to walk away. But let me give you some ideas of in the fullness of time and how they apply to us this morning and even to myself at times. <clears throat> In the fullness of time in 1620, most of us know that as the pilgrims, most of us know that as that situation in 1620, there was a lady that was 11 years old in 1620, her name is Mary Allerton. Mary Allerton Cushman is her name, she was um, uh, married to another gentleman, who, a gentleman by the name of uh, Thomas Cushman, and she was actually the 11-year-old girl on the Mayflower in 1620 and later married and had children. And Mary absolutely uh, was the last of the individuals on the Mayflower to die at 90 in 1699. Her father-in-law, Robert Cushman, kept the vision alive for the pilgrims in England. In the fullness of time, that was an exactness of her and him. Do you think there's a grandiose picture that we have looking at America today from what their little beginnings were? They didn't understand the fullness of what they were doing. But in the fullness of time, they are there. And in the fullness of time, we are here. So they went from exact to grandiose because the exactness of showing up at Jamestown became the grandiose of what we have. Why is that important to me? Because Thomas and Mary Cushman are my 12th great-great-grandparents. 
Where I am today is directly related to the exactness of something that happened oh, almost 400, well, over 400 years ago. And so I am a, a direct descendant of Mary Allerton and Thomas Cushman, who were both associated with the Plymouth Colony in 1620 and 1621. Now that's on my dad's side. Let's go to mama's side. In the fullness of time, our lives are being impacted by what God did 100, 200, or two days ago. World War II, Company A, 116th Infantry Regiment, the 29th Division, a gentleman by the name of Glenwood Overstreet stepped onto the shore of Normandy on June 6, 1944. He was one of the Bedford boys, and if you've never been to my home county of Bedford, please go to the D-Day Memorial and take a look at what happened there. That is a powerful, powerful place. But Bedford is there because 19 of the 32 individuals that entered um, D-Day uh, were killed on that first wave. Several died later. My uncle did not die. He lived through it. He never spoke about it. But on my mother's side, he did not know the exactness of what he was doing. He did not know fully the grandiose scheme of what was going on there. But in the fullness of time, he stepped onto that boat believing that it was more important to follow what he had been called to do than to not do it. Why is that important to us today? Had D-Day not occurred the way it occurred, Israel would have to be figured out how to become Israel another way. Because D-Day opened up the door to end Hitler's rule over Europe. And then four years later, Israel is founded in 1948. Just as God had declared it was going to be an exodus, he said it was going to happen. I had no idea. We didn't have any idea how America would be engaged in that. But the engagement was incredibly intense. And because of what was done, exactness, the grandiose scheme in the fullness of time brings us to a place where we can see that Bedford and some of the decisions that we make may have impacting far more than just you and me in the fullness of time. Let's make it personal as we wrap up. In the fullness of time, Hebrews makes an incredible declaration in Hebrews 9.27. It is appointed unto man wants to die. And then the judgment. For each one of us, there is a fulfill, there will be a fullness of time heated. And none of us, not a single person, under the sound of my voice, has the ability to avoid that truth. Let me ask you just a couple of questions. Is your life full? Is it full? And when I say that, are you maximizing every single day for the fullness of being a, making a difference in the lives of others? 
I have a family situation that's not always pretty. Nobody, no, everybody in this room has family situations that are perfect. Life is good, and Christmas are always wonderful. <laughs> no, I'm talking to people that either know or know somebody that has that situation. How do we want to spend our Christmases? How do we want to spend each and every day? I'll give you a challenge because I believe this to be true. If you can go to bed tonight with no regrets for today and no fears for tomorrow, you've lived a good day. No regrets, no fears. What a great way to sleep. What a great way to sleep. Because we do know that at some point in time, when the fullness of time gets to us and we stand before God, will we hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant? And will you have no regrets and no fears? You, like Mary and Thomas, do not know the outcome of your day, nor of your life, nor of what your life may mean to somebody else. There's a whole lot of arguments over when Christ comes back. Here's the reality. He's going to. When? I don't know. I thought it was 1988. He didn't show up. I thought it was 2000. He didn't show up. My goodness, our world continues to get crazier and crazier. And if I were God, it'd be over. But I'm not. But the word does call me to occupy until I come. Jesus said, occupy, do something until I come. So did Mary and Thomas, my ancestors, know the outcome of what they did? No. But in the fullness of time, they stepped off of the boat. And now we have a Thanksgiving celebration that we had a few weeks ago. And the reality of a nation established based on biblical truth and biblical principles. Did my Uncle Dick know the fulfillment that... Winning at D-Day brought about Israel. Of course not. He wouldn't have known that. But he knew it was the right thing to do. And in his exactness of the fullness of time, the reality of what we have today is here. Israel is a nation. Did any mention earlier... Did any of the candle factory workers in Mayfield, Kentucky, know their earthly life would have been over on Friday evening? Should call us to a place, call us always to a place where we are certain and that we're sure. I remember preaching a sermon for my drummer at a church that I was preaching at the time, and I made a statement. <laughs> Don't think I'm making the statement of this church, please. <laughs> it was a statement that I made. I said, I don't know that I'm going to see all of you next Sunday. He was killed in a motorcycle accident that evening. But he was ready to meet God. He was ready to meet God. His fullness of time showed up. God's fullness of time is exact and grandiose. We only see the larger picture of his magnificence when we look back. So I want to take you to that last verse again in Galatians chapter 4 as we close. 
See, I, as a pastor, I can close six times, right? You know, in closing, you know. we've, we've, learned the, <laughs> we've learned the ropes, and sometimes those ropes are not always pretty. Galatians chapter 4, verse 7. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but God's child. You are no longer a slave, a son, and if a son, you are an heir. You are an heir of God through Christ. And what's an heir? The one that has it all. The one that gets it all. That was the fullness of time for us. He gave, it all, he gave us it all. And he had to come in to be born under the law to overcome the law so that we wouldn't need to. I want to encourage you today. Live your life knowing God has the exact fullness of time for each one of you. We don't know if your exactness is just going to be exact and you're going to make a difference with a few or if your exactness is going to be something grandiose and you make the reality of life grandiose for somebody else. But let me tell you this, I do know the grandiose of God for the fullness of time was for us. Because if we didn't have Jesus, how would we know the God who loved us and created us and lived among us in the fullness of time, born under the law, born to a woman, the Christ that is who we claim, the resurrected King, is indeed the exact fullness and fulfillment of time. Live like an heir in this troubled world. And others will see both an exact and a grandiose fulfillment of time in your life. Let us pray. Father, this morning, I pray that we're challenged to realize that the fullness of time as it relates to Galatians is the fullness of time as it relates to each one of us. For there is an appointed time. At some point in time in the past, we were conceived in our mother's womb. And at some point in time in the future, we will breathe our last breath. That will be the fullness of time for each one of us. I pray, Father God, that because of your word and your truth, that you would maximize that time. That you, Lord, would maximize our time and minimize our distractions in being all that you've called us to be. And Father God, if you have called us to be an heir, then we want to claim the promises of the word of God. But Lord, we know this is true for many of us. We can't claim the promises of God if we do not know them. I pray that at this time of year for faith community, that Father God, it would be actively engaged in cultural change and actively engaged in individual searching of the word of God so that we can be living out the heirs that you have called us to be. Your blessings now upon this congregation, your blessings upon uh, all that it's doing for this community, your blessings upon the search, Father God, for someone to take Pastor Skelton's place and Father God, thank you again for the opportunity to share your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's children together said, Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening. 
To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at FCCSobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.